0: Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette.
1: Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty.
0: On today's show, we tackle your etiquette questions on in lieu of flowers, communicating about celiacs to new friends, how to handle food-stealing spouses, and should you invite your hairstylist to your wedding?
1: Plus your most excellent feedback on bike share etiquette, an etiquette salute for the week, and a Postscript segment on listening. Coming up.
0: Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute.
1: I'm Lizzie Post. And
0: I'm Dan Post Senning.
1: Why didn't you shout your name? I shouted my name.
0: Because I'm not back from L.A.
1: Right! I am back from LA. Holy fun, that was my first trip to LA. You have always gotten the good trips to LA. (laughs) I kind of like going to LA. (laughs) I know. Well, you actually live there, so it's always really fun to be like, Dan. I got an LA thing for you. But I have hated that for the past 10 years, every time we've gotten an LA offer for me, I have been unavailable. It's been like this weird little curse. It has strangely
0: worked out that way, and I sort of acknowledge that it's continued to fall into my lap, and I I think it was the right moment to reverse that trend.
1: You... Oh, do you know? You think this was the right moment. What I loved was that this was a really fun trip. I also got to meet, da-da-da-da, your buddy, G.
0: Jordy was definitely one of my first friends at school. I'm so glad you got a chance to meet him because we've managed to maintain that friendship for 15, 20 was years now. I say,
1: how far out of college are you now? Shh. <laughs> amazing host. Your buddy was an amazing host. He took me to a fabulous cafe that had insanely good veggie burgers. It was like this beet burger that I totally recreated this weekend when I got home. Brought me up to his house. I got the tour. We actually got to make fresh orange juice, like straight off the orange trees in the backyard. Like California. so, Cali. I loved it. And I know we East Coast people are the only people that say Cali. But what I loved was that I got to be an unexpected guest. <laughs> and G had like a dinner planned with kind of his surrogate mother in in his neighborhood. And he said totally fine if you come. You know, had double checked with her and everything. So I got to come along to this little dinner party and. It was amazing, delicious vegetarian meal. So clearly they knew that G was vegetarian and, you know, had prepared for him, which I thought was really generous. The food was incredible, but the conversation, it was here I am, just a stranger in these people's homes, you know, and and really felt comfortable, felt uh, appreciated for being there, which that's something we don't always talk about when we talk about hosting, that If you do have that unexpected guest or that guest that you don't know that well, taking the time to make their presence feel appreciated is so welcoming and so comforting. And it had been, you know, I mean, I live in the town that I grew up in. So most of the people I'm entertaining with and being around are people I've known for years and years and years. It was so much fun to kind of be a stranger and experience that side of being a guest.
0: Well, I'm happy to hear it in a couple of different ways. One, I think that years ago, Jordi and I connected around an appreciation for certain... I won't call them social graces, but um, a facility in social situations. Totally. And um, I'm glad to hear that those skills are still sharp.
1: Oh, very. <laughs> and
0: it's it's also fun to hear about California as an example of manners because it's not the, the first thing that jumps to people's yeah. minds when they think of Los Angeles. And it's if you were to look at a heat map of where people in the country visit the Emily Post website from, you would be surprised how, how hot the city of Los Angeles is in terms of the number of visits that we get. And I did
1: not know that. That's so cool.
0: It's – a little appreciated fact about California, <laughs> that there there is a love for civility out on the West Coast as well. And it's nice to get that report with a human touch.
1: Totally. Thank you so much for setting me up with your buddy. And thank you to G for being an amazing host.
0: Well, I hope he's out there listening.
1: <laughs> I totally took his phone and added the podcast to it.
0: <laughs> Good work. Well, speaking of the podcast.
1: Yes, we are doing it right now. <laughs> Shall
0: we get to some questions? Questions, yes. Let's do it.
1: Awesome Etiquette is stoked to be answering your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. Our first
0: question is, in lieu of, hello, Lizzie and Dan. First of all, thank you for the amazing podcast. An employee that works on my team, let's call her Mary, recently lost a close family member. I'd like to send our condolences from myself and the rest of our team. I'm the manager, and a few people have asked me about this. I received information about the funeral that requested donations to a charity or charity of our choice instead of flowers. Typically, for a death in the family, we would send flowers to the home of the employee that suffered the loss. However, in this case, Mary is due to travel right after the funeral. I'm wondering if we should make a charitable donation and send a card to her house or wait until she returns and send flowers then. I'm also wondering the best way to sign the card. Our collective team is about 30 people. Any advice and insight you have in this situation is much appreciated. A few of us have already been in contact with Mary over email and have expressed our sympathies, but I wanted to follow up with something more formal and heartfelt. Additionally, other people that found out via word of mouth were asking should they email her or wait until she returns to express their individual support. Kind regards, confused and concerned.
1: My first thoughts are that it's always very thoughtful of a company to make sure that the team that this person who's suffered a loss works with sends something to the grieving member. You know, I just think it's, it's nice. You work with these people 40 hours a week or more. Um, or sometimes less. Maybe it's a part-time gig. But it's just you, you do have a weekly connection with this person. It is perfectly appropriate, even though it's a family matter, for work to show sympathy.
0: I absolutely agree. We have this idea in our mind that it's really important to respect the privacy of the people that we work with, and it is. But there are also certain times in life when relationships become really important and work relationships can be some of the most important relationships in our lives. They're people we spend a lot of time with. And I do think this is one of those moments when you want to acknowledge that.
1: And it's okay for companies to do that. And this company has a policy. They actually have a policy of sending flowers and a card to the grieving team member. And that helps. It does help. Now, you've got the issue of there's a request for a donation to be made. And I like the fact that the family has said either to this charity or one of your choosing. It gives some direction if you don't have a particular charity you like to give to. And it also offers freedom of choice because maybe the charity they selected isn't one that you agree with, so therefore you can make a donation to one you do agree with.
0: I noticed that also, and it does make things easier, particularly for a company which might have certain charities that are approved, Mm -hmm. that are allowed, and... If there's a a particular charity that someone prefers, if for any reason that charity isn't something that someone else can or is comfortable donating to, it is nice to have that option.
1: It is. And I also just want to throw out there, it's also nice to keep the option of flowers on the table because you've got a team of 30 people. And when it comes to donating to a charity, I think there is a certain... Level of like you want everyone to feel good about the charity that's chosen, along with the company that's sending it to this charity. Let's just say that the charity that was suggested isn't one that all these people feel comfortable with, or that the company doesn't feel comfortable with. It's okay to go with the flowers, just because people have requested in lieu of doesn't mean you have to. It's a request you try really hard to entertain. But I'm just saying we got 30 people and a corporation involved in this particular show of sympathy. So it might just be easier to send the flowers once she returns. It's an option.
0: Those are all good options on the table. But I do like that the. Acknowledgement of the request.
1: Yes. (laughs) And if it's
0: possible to honor that request, it's often made for a reason. And in this particular situation, there is a very practical concern. Mary is going to be traveling and might not even be present to receive a donation of flowers or a gift of flowers. And... Thinking about the details here is wise. So there are a couple of factors at play. Yeah, And the other part of this question that involves how individuals should reach out to Mary, And I definitely think that you're wise to be thinking about that also. I think that email connection is good. I think that it's even better to get a handwritten note, some kind of condolence note, particularly from you, a team leader, or anybody that felt connected in some more immediate way. It's nice to have that team
1: Feeling. Feeling,
0: that card that 30 people are going to sign. But it's also really nice to reach out individually, particularly if you're feeling inspired to do so. And I think that... I would encourage considering a handwritten note as a good way to go for that particular expression of sympathy.
1: I'm raising my hand in agreement. If co-workers, maybe there are people who, who socialize at work a little bit more with Mary than others and they feel like they want to make that connection. Um, obviously, verbal condolences are totally appropriate. You know, um, Mary, I'm so sorry. I heard about your, you know, family member and I hope you're doing OK. Let me know if you want to grab lunch or go for a walk or something. Something like that always going to be appropriate. but. Leaving a little note or a card uh, personally from you if you're a friend or a good colleague of Mary's, that's totally appropriate. And I do think in this particular circumstance, a note or a verbal comes to me as being higher up on the list than an email. I think I would appreciate anything if I was the grieving person, but I think that it's a tough time in life. Let's pull out kind of our best effort rather than our easiest effort.
0: And as far as the timing of those notes, it's okay if they arrive after she returns from this trip. There is a, a window that is opened here where these are going to be received and appreciated. And particularly if someone's going to be gone right away, it's absolutely okay to send those notes to her. Her home and for them to be received after she returns from her trip,
1: what do you think about? Would you feel okay uh, if someone dropped a note on your desk because I know I felt okay when our coworker Virginia dropped a note on my desk after my grandmother passed away, and I really appreciated it. I don't know, though. Do you think it's, like, imposing on her workspace?
0: Assess the relationship a little bit. I think that if it was a huge floor shared by a ton of people and they were stacking up on the desk, people just leaving them off, something like you describe, where we work in a smaller office, there's a little more intimate feel. I think it is perfectly appropriate. And,
1: and maybe judge a little bit how Mary's doing as well. It, does it seem like she wants to be... You know, dealing with condolence notes at work, or you know, does she seem to be okay with it? I think there's there's that too, right?
0: I I agree. It's it's a it's a bit of a gray area. Part of me likes the idea of putting it in the mail, sending it, having arrive at the home at the mm-hmm. same time. Practicality being the heart of good etiquette. Sometimes even handing someone a note is a way to make that connection. You talk about the importance of that that personal connection, mm-hmm. that chance to verbally. Connect, look someone in the eye, let them really see your sympathy and your goodwill.
1: So, we would say go for the charitable donation if the company feels good about it and feels good about the charity and you feel like everyone's kind of on board with that. Just simply because the family has requested it in lieu of flowers, it's always nice to entertain that when you can. I would say in terms of the card, either way, you could sign it from the entire team or department or you could take that week that Mary's gone for, that traveling time, and use that to really collect signatures from everyone who's around. And then I would say to let anyone who wants to personally express their condolences, suggest that note going to the home first. Or, you know, talk with Mary and say, Mary, when she's back, you know, people would really like to express their sympathy. Would you prefer that to be done at home or would you prefer if they leave a note on your desk or something like that? That, It might be a way just to open up that communication line and find out what Mary would actually prefer.
0: You are really thoughtful to be thinking about this at this difficult time. The importance of supporting our coworkers and the people that we're close to in all areas of life can't be overstated. And we applaud the good job that you're doing. Good luck.
1: Our next question is titled, Getting to Know You Goes Too Far. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I absolutely love your podcast and share it often with friends and family. Thank you so much for that. We are so trying to grow this show. My question pertains to addressing questions about food and, I quote, issues. I have celiacs and have for about 10 years. The surge of the gluten-free trend has been a double-edged sword because it's made everyone more aware— but it also brings a lot of questions about why I eat the way I do. My question for you two etiquette geniuses is, how do I gracefully stop all the questions about why and what happens when I ingest gluten? I don't mind giving a quick, I have celiacs, But it has gotten to the point where, honestly, I am sick of sharing my medical information with essential strangers, usually people I'm just meeting at an event or friends of friends. Often when I mention that I'm gluten-free, it opens the damn to have the other person share all of their issues, which I also don't feel comfortable or enjoy discussing. I understand that people are curious, but I also don't want to be responsible for educating everyone I encounter about celiacs. You're the best. Um, that is a winky face emoji with a tongue sticking out. One after of my it. favorites. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. I want you to know, I followed up with Kate. She was one of the people that I picked up and phone kind of like talked to for a bit about what was going on. Because my very first question was, How are you getting into this conversation where people are prying too far? Something you're saying is giving people permission to ask questions. Whether you want those questions coming to you or not is a totally different thing. And so Kate said, well, it starts with me saying I have celiacs followed by oh, what's that? And then Kate says, an autoimmune disease that reacts to gluten. And then they say, oh, what happens if you eat gluten? And then Kate says, it's a gastrointestinal reaction that lasts a few weeks. And then the person follows up with, oh, really? Like, what happens? And so you're going down this road of like, it starts innocent, but then all of a sudden becomes quite pressing. And Kate has moved to a new area, so she's getting to know new friends and new people. And to a certain degree, as she entertains with people, she's going to have to be letting people know about the celiacs. But on the other end of it, she needs some help finding language to shut these conversations down and language that lets her introduce the topic and then get away from the topic. In other words, I'll tell you I have celiacs. But that's as far as this conversation goes. You want more descriptions, you look it up. And she's got to find a way to say that politely. So... I worked with her on her phone on that, but I want to hear kind of your thought because you haven't spoken with Kate and gone through the whole answer. <laughs> no, and I'm, I'm
0: intrigued. I'm glad that yeah. you were able to follow up and connect because one of my sort of initial broad thoughts was I bet Kate is a friendly person.
1: <laughs> Kate's a very nice person. Having spoken to her personally, I can say this.
0: Some people are naturally open and present, yes. and it seems to to draw out often the best in others. It draws people into Engage social interaction, and part of my thinking was that there might be a a a broad thought to share around how you manage how open you are. We talk about consideration, respect, and honesty. Our framework, and one of my examples for where honesty is so important is when you're describing food allergies. Gotcha. Some people are allergic to cats, and some people are really allergic to cats. Some people are (laughs) allergic to cats, don't like cats, would rather not stay in a house with pet hair or pet dander, and some people are. They will have an allergic reaction. They will swell up. They will get hives. They will go to the hospital. And I advise people to be honest with themselves and others about the nature of their allergies. Their What is really a preference? What is really an allergy? What are your hard lines? What are your soft lines? What
1: are you trying out just to find out if something's an allergy or not? Because that's what a lot of people with food allergies go through is this test period of trying to figure out what exactly it is that they're reacting to and how bad that reaction is going to be based on what they eat.
0: And there are repercussions to playing loose with the truth that affect everyone. Yes. And I have heard not just from Kate but from other people who have celiacs about how difficult the trend of the gluten-free diet has been for them because people present themselves as being allergic to gluten or having intolerances and that means very different things to different people and um, this is an example of where that dishonesty doesn't necessarily just impact you, the person who's expressing it, but impacts other people.
1: When other people are walking around claiming they have a gluten allergy and they don't, it affects people like Kate who do.
0: We've heard from other listeners who will tell people that they are gluten intolerant and the people don't believe them or don't understand how serious it it is or say, oh, well, I'm I'm used to preparing gluten-free meals and they're used to preparing gluten-free meals for people who – aren't as intolerant as someone with celiacs might be.
1: Well, one of the things you might be getting at here is cross-contamination. With celiacs, cross-contamination in the kitchen is actually a pretty big problem. You can't fry something in a fry later that had had wheat fried in it. It'll cross-contaminate. If you cook on a griddle where buns have been cooked that have wheat in them, Then that can get into the food of the person with celiacs and make them sick. So please take celiacs as a really serious allergy the same way you would a peanut allergy or something Mm -hmm. like that. And when you're talking with someone who says, I have celiacs or you're talking with someone who maybe someone says, I have Crohn's disease if you know it has to do with the gut, don't ask any more questions. (laughs) This is people's personal habits of their food coming and going from their body. And that's something they don't really enjoy talking about. So just as the person receiving the information, we'll get a little etiquette out there to you. If you hear someone talking about what is clearly a digestive issue, don't press further. But let's talk about Kate and what we can offer Kate as support and help for this issue.
0: I think that starting to really um, develop some language that will help people differentiate and separate between folks that are trying a gluten-free diet, who are um, experimenting with it, and someone for whom it's a real medical necessity or something that they can't um, – there is no elasticity around. Mm -hmm. I I like the language of strongly allergic. Mm -hmm. To really start to clue people in. And I think that's some ways you can start to give some signs that that carve out the territory of the disease if you don't want to go all the way to describing exactly what it is.
1: The symptoms, yeah. That
0: you suffer from. I I think that a willingness to share that it's celiacs is something that's up to you. Mm -hmm. But that that, that language of being strongly allergic. Helps. Is a way. And I also really keyed on that language of cross-contamination that happens in the kitchen, not even just something that's an ingredient that's listed in the food that I'm eating.
1: And Kate and I talked about this, that terminology can really help. A lot of people don't know what celiacs actually refers to. And a lot of people don't even really understand the broadness of what gluten is. So I say dial it down, and when you're meeting new friends, I would start by saying something that I know pretty much anyone could understand. I have a severe wheat allergy, and I feel like that's language that any person could kind of at least understand on a simple level. If someone pushes you further to explain, and this is then where you have to get your kind of good etiquette hat on, you can either decline to engage or you can engage But you can say, like they say to you, well, what happens if you do? You can just simply say, I'd rather not say it's not very comfortable. Or you could say, it's not pleasant and I'm going to leave it at that. And then the trick is always to move on. And this is the part that you have to be really good at, which is changing the conversation and moving forward with that next conversation and saying, you know, Tell me about your home. Tell me about your job. Tell me about your kids. You know, this is that moment where you just change it up and move forward and move on from it. Because Kate admitted to me that she she does what I think a lot of people do, which is sometimes when people get too nosy, you fire back. The other direction getting super graphic so that it's like, oh, you want to ask me a question about this? Let me show you just how much you didn't want to ask me a question about this. And she admits that she gets that feistiness in her that wants to do that. And so I say, cut it off at the pass. Don't go into that that area of conversation and instead say, listen, it's too graphic. I don't want to share it or listen, I just I don't want to get into it, but I would love to hear about you.
0: I found my advice going in a very similar direction. Yeah. Where I I took a crack at some sample scripts myself.
1: Let's hear them, Dano. (laughs) Because I also
0: think it's so important to have that language that keeps you from getting drawn into that territory. However it happens, whether it's with a bit of a oh yeah attitude or even just an an accommodating attitude that you later regret or or don't feel as comfortable about. That
1: happens to me all the time.
0: (laughs) I I thought of things because you are on such strong and sound etiquette territory of not having a discussion about a health issue that you don't want to have. That's just very clear language like I prefer not to go into all of the details or get into all of the details. I think that's enough. You can set that boundary. You can define it. I like your option of getting back into safe territory. It doesn't always need to be the weather. It can be your favorite (laughs) hobby. It can be particle physics. There is safe conversation territory.
1: Kate's in a new place. Asking people about things that they love about the area is another great option.
0: I think there's some middle ground here also because I really wanted to acknowledge, as you pointed out, the choice of you can talk about it if you want. You don't have to if you don't want. You're not obligated to educate everyone. But if that opportunity presents itself and you're feeling capable of playing that role in the situation, by all means, you can. Yeah. You can – define that role. You could say something like, I'm happy to talk about celiacs and the particulars of the disease with you later, but let's wait until we're not about to share a meal. Or we can have that conversation in private, or you can put whatever boundaries or parameters around that conversation that allow you to be comfortable that you think are appropriate.
1: Absolutely. Kate, we hope that this gives you some options for moving forward and that you enjoy getting to know new folks in your new town. With the facts of a situation... She could plan for a chance to do even better things and with a broader perspective.
0: Our next listener is hungry for a complete meal. Hi, maybe you can help me out. For a long time, whenever my wife and I go out to dinner or order food to take home, my wife will reach across the table with a fork or her hand if it's takeout at home and just start taking food off my plate. She doesn't ask, she just does it. Just starts digging into my food. Sometimes she'll put stuff back on my plate if she changes her mind and she decides she doesn't want it or like it. If I say anything about it, I am accused of being a food nut or food hoarder. I understand a husband and wife should, could have a certain openness to their relationship, especially after 28 years. However, I've always found this rude and frankly invasive behavior. Am I wrong in noting that it's rude, even if it's my wife doing it? If you're not comfortable answering this with a husband and wife inflection, I understand. I know that in any other circumstance, this would be considered extremely rude behavior. Thanks. Hungry for an actual complete meal.
1: How much do you love this question? I love this question so much. I love this question.
0: And I love that little (laughs) question. If you're not comfortable talking about this (laughs) in a husband and wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that it makes this question.
1: No, I think so too. This is a 28-year relationship oftentimes we get careless with the people that we love, and then we judge them when they speak up for setting their own boundaries. Holy moly, of all people, this is not the person you should be doing that to. Just so we know, I'm like firmly in the husband's camp on this one. But I think it's delicate. One of the thoughts I had is you don't want someone else's rudeness to define you. And I think that's what happens here when Husband speaks up and wife says, Oh, you're a food hoarder. It's like, wait a second. I'm telling you that your behavior isn't making me comfortable and you're name calling me after that? Like, what gives? Where have we broken down to the point where that's okay?
0: OK, <laughs> so much going on here. I know, right? And, and I, I like the tone with which you're already developing the sample script and the response <laughs> because I, I can feel the good humor in it. And I think that's going to be important as we move through oh, this we question. we have ideas
1: when it comes to the advice. But think about the what are, what are what's our reasoning here?
0: I love flying back 60,000 feet. Yes, you do. And <laughs> looking at the situation and saying, this is the example I give when I'm talking to business audiences about personal hygiene really? and behaviors around eating food. People think that someone would tell them if their behavior was bad, if their personal hygiene was bad, if they ate in a way that was gross or annoying. And I oftentimes remind audiences, sometimes even spouses are uncomfortable talking to their significant others about etiquette mistakes or rudenesses. And the other example I give is sometimes the spouse has talked to this person (laughs) and this person has not heard. And I hear from these spouses who say, I've talked to my partner about their bad breath and they just don't seem to hear me they don't they don't believe me they don't they respond with insults or accusations
1: (laughs) defensively yeah
0: it is a common situation we rarely have the standing to address someone else's bad behavior this is a situation where it's fundamental enough it's essential enough i think it's important and i think think that good humor is going to play a part in that but um i also think that you're when you're talking about food sharing it's the biggest deal yeah and you're you're you, you not only can you really should speak up
1: I think so, too. In my like, in my thoughts about this one, I said, well, okay, where is the etiquette here? First, fundamental etiquette. No, it's not polite to touch other people's food, even if you kiss this person regularly, right? Like, we're not worried about germs between a husband and wife couple. And since but... we're
0: talking about fundamentals... <laughs> You ask first.
1: You ask first. I mean, these are really simple pieces of etiquette that we're all taught. And we forget them when we're among roommates, best friends, relationship partners, and and family as well, you know, parents, things like that. So I think it's important to recognize that just from a straight-up etiquette point, yes, you have amazing standing on this one. No matter what the relationship, someone should ask before taking anything off your plate of food. However, (laughs) I think that what I would be worried about if I was in this relationship is the can of worms. And that is, you've lived with this person, as you mentioned, for 28 years. I'm sure there are lots of grievances that go unsaid between the two of you. And when you bring one up, are you opening up the can of grievances that have been waiting to be launched at you? So I think, and Dan, you are married and have been in a relationship for quite some time now. I am not. So let me know if I'm off base on this one, all right? However... I would think that it's a good idea to try to suggest that, and, and be willing and open on your end, to get your partner's buy-in on this and say something to the idea of, Sweetie love, I thought after 30 years of wedded bliss, we should probably check in with each other and give ourselves the opportunity to adjust Let's each pick one thing we'd like to address and work on and see how it goes. Get the buy-in for one thing and be prepared for whatever your partner chooses your one thing to be that you're going to work on. But I like the idea of saying, okay, we've been in this a while. Like You and I kind of do this at the office every now and again. We do like a check-in and say, okay, we work together pretty well, but what's like one thing we could each do better? And get that buy-in and permission for this. And I think that that would be an appropriate time to then say, for me, I would love it if you ask first before taking food off my plate and not put half-eaten food back on my plate. That's the the, the food exchange right there. Maybe that counts as two. I don't know. But go with the first one first. <laughs> I would love it if you would ask before taking something off my plate and then see what comes back your way. But I don't know.
0: I like the good humor. I do think that the, the uh, you said that with a smile on your face and it comes through. I like this idea of being willing to turn that lens back on yourself also. I also love the way you acknowledge that 30 years of wedded bliss, that for me, that's a key part of this, that there is a certain, and it's acknowledged in the question, um, implied intimacy to being able to ignore yeah. some of the boundaries that we often have with other people, that we start to, to let some of these boundaries down a little bit and that there is something quite close and, and often... Oftentimes it's a part of a relationship that someone will treasure is the closeness that they feel by being able to ignore some pretty embedded, pretty deep conventions, social behaviors and – a real intimacy around sharing food could be one of those, and I think that you're 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 wise to start to tie an awareness of all that into any approach to this topic.
1: Can I tell you, I had a night with my mom once where she called me up a few years ago. She totally vented to me about my dad. Right, like it happens. Parents do this. You're gonna do this to Anisha one day. <laughs> it cracks me up. <laughs> and so my mom is complaining about how when my dad makes a sandwich, you can follow the trail of what got made and the and the crumbs. She's like, somehow crumbs wind up in drawers and I just don't get it. And here I am thinking of these two people who have been married for about 30 years living together. And this has driven my mom nuts to the point where she is like venting strongly to her daughter about it. And I'm laughing because I'm going, you guys wrote the book on consideration, respect and honesty
0: and good communication, <laughs> and good
1: communication. Use your skills <laughs> like when you I feel like know who you're talking to. Is dad just the kind of guy who this is never going to change? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like. Find your balance. Pick your battles. <laughs> is
0: it easier to put away the mayonnaise when he's done or to have the discussion? And sometimes it's easier just to <laughs> pick away. it up.
1: But this is taking food off a plate and putting food back on. I think they're standing here no, to and not I ignore
0: think it. You've got to some territory for having that conversation. The other idea that I would share is that you communicate your reasons. And since we're sharing personal stories, I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll go back to my kitchen table yeah. and – Early on in my relationship with Pooja, the question of food sharing came up. Did it really? She had a family tradition or experience where there was a certain intimacy or comfort that came from eating all of something. Okay. (laughs) And whereas for me, it was all about the sharing. Okay. And early on, I I think it was Raisin Bran, and we still talk about it, but she (laughs) ate the whole bowl of Raisin Bran. And I, I forget whether it was like the end of the box or it was the whole thing. She didn't offer me some or she asked to share some of mine, and then she finished it. Or I think that might have been it.
1: She asked to share your Raisin Bran, and then she finished it. Yes. Okay. And I often save the best
0: bite for last, so I, where she thought— Just so
1: we're clear, Dan and his wife share bowls of cereal.
0: <laughs> we do, so we had to negotiate. <laughs> like,
1: no, we are that cute. <laughs> so we had to
0: get to the point where, where, where she knows that I'm saving the best bite for last, and—, and There was a communication process to figuring out how we um, get through a plate of food so that we could share it effectively. And just even knowing that and, and Pooj will now ask me, she'll be like, would you mind sharing? Is that the bite that you were saving?
1: Oh, I like that one with the three raisins in it, because let's face it, the raisins are the point of eating Raisin Bran. When I order food
0: <laughs> at a restaurant, she'll ask me before she orders if that's something that I'd be willing or interested in sharing. And one of my ideas for this conversation was to to give some sample language to, to – Um, When you're talking to your wife and you're having the discussion that Lizzie suggested, that you let her know how to ask you if it's a good time to share or if you'd be willing to do it. Are you going to eat all of that? Is there a little something there for me? Would you mind if I tried a bite of that? These are all the things that she might say that allow for that food sharing to keep happening, but in a way that you might feel comfortable and asked first and acknowledged.
1: I like it. I like it. After 30 years of of marriage, you can definitely still, still need to get to know your partner and respect that they might think a little bit differently than you do.
0: It's fun to eat supper with your family. Father is
1: certainly enjoying his supper. Everything tastes good, and you're eating well. Will you remember to eat the right way? Our next question is titled, Splitting Hairs. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I'm a longtime listener of the podcast and love what you do. I'm engaged and my—congratulations! And my fiancé and I are in the midst of planning. I have a question regarding the guest list. I've been going to the same hairstylist for nearly 10 years. She and I are about the same age, and we actually have a few mutual friends, though we don't hang out other than when I go into the salon." I have asked her to help me with my hair on my wedding day, and she graciously and enthusiastically agreed. I will, of course, be paying her for the service, and I will also get her a small gift of thanks. That's so nice. The question is, should I invite her to the wedding? Or another way to put it, would it be more awkward to invite her or not invite her? Again, we're not close or even really friends outside of catching up about life when I'm getting haircut. But this relationship also feels... Like, a little bit more than just an acquaintance. I'm trying to imagine the day of the wedding, her coming to do my hair, and then saying, Okay, see you next time, before the festivities start. But I also don't want her to feel obligated to come. I have your voices in my head saying, Don't make it fraught! Can you please help me not make it fraught? Smiley face. Thank you so much for everything you do. You have accomplished the near-impossible feat of making me look forward to Mondays. Warm regards, Carly.
0: Carly, I am more than happy to help. I think this
1: is
0: (laughs) a a pretty clear etiquette question, and I I really want to encourage you not to feel fraught. I get nervous when I'm switching appointments at my stylist, and I can understand a little bit of nervousness about managing (laughs) this relationship well. And I, I also appreciate where that nervousness comes from.
1: Totally. So on the one hand, this is a service provider. And not your best friend or sister. Just re- remind yourself of that. You also haven't asked the stylist to do your hair for your wedding as a favor. You are hiring her. This is a service. This is transaction Done and done. And um, I actually called my longtime stylist, uh, who is a friend of mine. We do actually hang out outside of our salon sessions. But I talked with her about this because I thought this is actually something stylists must deal with on a fairly regular basis. You know, you sit in someone's chair for an hour every other month and you really do get to know them. You know your stylists, right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah feels like a close relationship and it's um it speaks well of you that you have good and and open and friendly relationships with people that you do business with you've acknowledged that you don't hang out with her outside of work. This is really essentially a professional yep. relationship
1: It's just a very friendly professional relationship.
0: And that feels good. That's a good way to manage your professional relationships. So this is the best problem to have.
1: Yeah, totally, totally. But so, it's
0: also really up to you. It, and it, no. whatever choice you make, there's going to be a, a type of language that's going to be appropriate depending on whatever choice you make here.
1: Absolutely. So what Bree said to me was that she felt like, as a stylist, she knows weddings are very personal. That as just a friend in her life of friends, she knows weddings are very personal. And that as a friend, it's not always a guarantee you're going to get invited. So as someone who really has more of a service provider relationship, even if it's a good one in the chair, you know, at the salon, that she never expects to be invited to a wedding that she's been hired to do hair for. And I think that taking that personal aspect of it out and making it... Like, hey your wedding, your choice, frees up the bride to not feel pressure. And so what Brie really wanted to, me to communicate to all brides out there is that you should never feel pressured to invite your stylist to the wedding. If you can, that's wonderful and it's very generous. She says on occasion people will invite after she's done the hair, they'll say, hey, you should stick around and enjoy the hors d'oeuvres and the you know open bar and all that. And she looks at that as an added bonus beyond the cash tip that people give. And so it, she says it just happens some Times And she doesn't intend on staying, but she'll make that choice in the moment. But I think that the real point here is you as the bride should feel confident about your guest list and invite who you want to invite and are prepared to invite and feel confident inviting. And don't worry about it beyond that. Uh, Your stylist is someone who has lots of these relationships where she's close to someone in the chair but doesn't hang out with them outside of work. But she then goes and does their she or he, excuse me, then go and do hair for a wedding of someone that they're close with in the chair but not close with in their personal life. Stylists are very used to this. It's your one experience with it. So don't worry about it so much.
0: The only place where I see any potential for awkwardness emerging is if you decide not to invite her and then decide to talk about that a lot.
1: Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, don't do that.
0: The one thing that I would suggest avoiding is make your choice. Be clear about the inviting that you're doing or not doing. Be clear about it in your own mind. And then there's no need to launch into a long explanation for why anybody wasn't invited to any particular event. And I would – however – much the conversation might be about this wedding. Don't feel like you're compelled or um,
1: I'm so sorry that you can't come to this great wedding I keep talking about. No. Just to apologize. Don't. <laughs> a- a-
0: absolutely. It's okay. Everyone understands and just let that be an unsaid understanding. If someone does ask questions about the event, answer them clearly and honestly, and you're going to be in really good territory. We wish you the absolute best on your special, special day, and I'm sure it's going to be a smashing success.
1: Thank you so much for your questions. Please send us updates and comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message. Our voicemail would love to hear your voice. At 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Actually, do yourself a favor. Program that number into your phone right now so that you've got us on speed dial. You can also hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so we know you want your question on the show.
0: Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Monica wrote to us after we answered her bike share question. She had some follow-up points And another question.
1: Hello again, posts. First and most importantly, Dan, I am so glad to hear that your daughter is once again safe and healthy and welcome back.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for answering my bicycle question. I had no idea that you would get to it so quickly. That does happen sometimes. Fortunately for me, I still haven't had to make a decision where people were waiting. So I'll be able to take your conflicting advice into consideration if and when it happens for the first time. Let us know how it goes, Monica. To answer some of the questions y'all had on the show, yes, I do pay an annual fee to use the system and it does restrict my trips to half an hour or less. However, when you first sign up for the program, the company points out that you can take as many sequential trips as you want, as long as you check the bikes in every 30 minutes. So the company is establishing the policy that it is okay to recheck a bike In and out and move on. Sequential trips are allowed, but you have to check in every 30 minutes to avoid the fees. In fact, the website explicitly suggests that commuters from the suburbs learn all the stations along their route to make this easier. So I feel like I'm in pretty safe territory double-dipping my bicycle in normal circumstances. This information is also printed on all of the station kiosks. That's really nice so that if you're the person waiting in line, you can actually see that it's okay for someone to check a bike in and check a bike ride out, that someone coming up to check in doesn't necessarily mean you're going to receive a bike. Very cool. Among people who use the bike share, the consensus seems to be that the fee structure is designed to trick tourists who see a one-day membership and assume they can keep their same bike all day and don't read the fine print. The negative reviews on Yelp and TripAdvisor suggest that it's working, at least some of the time. Another etiquette question has come up, though. Quite often, stopped at red lights or stop signs or docking stations or whatever people read men, okay, with their own usually fancy bikes, will come up to me and start explaining things to me. Like how my bottom would be less sore if I raised my seat higher. Oh, that is awkward. Or how I can ride on the sidewalks if I'm not comfortable in the road which is legal in my city, even though it is not in many other cities. Or how I really shouldn't ride in a skirt because it might blow up, although to be fair, they can't usually see the shorts I'm wearing underneath. Is there a way to politely inform them that I do, in fact, know what I'm doing without making them angry at me and therefore risking retaliation? I'm not sure how much of this is because I'm a lady on a bike and I'm just going to get condescended to for that. And... How much is because people see the bike share bike and assume I'm a tourist who doesn't know the local laws and hasn't been on a bike in years? Thank you again, and I'm glad I brought up a new topic. It makes me feel much better about being unsure of what to do that y'all also weren't totally unsure of what to do. Cheers, Monica. I, I love it, first of all. I'm sorry that the mansplaining is happening to you. But I love the fact that this made sense to you and that you were able to confirm, you know, check-in was okay and encouraged by this this company. Other companies, that might not be the case. So I, I feel like our conflicting advice was validated in both places. So when it comes to these kind of annoying suggestions that are coming your way, which, by the way, I find it hysterical that men actually pull up next to you and say things about your skirt blowing up. Who's the expert on wearing skirts out of the two genders? I mean, men can wear skirts, sure. Women can wear pants, of course. But, like, that really cracked me up. But I am sorry that it's happening to you. I don't mind getting a bit cheeky. I'm going to be honest, and Dan, maybe you can tell me if you would be offended if this came back your way. Probably not. But I might say something like, well, thank you, kind sir, and I will reply to you in kind. Shoelaces, though they look nice, could get caught in your chain, so please do be careful wearing those shoes while you bike. I might just throw it back in a happy, like, I don't think you realize what you're doing, buddy, but I'm going to just show you what it feels like kind of way. And that is, like, it's me not being the most etiquette-y self.
0: Although, um, again, with that good humor, with a smile on your face, I, uh, I, I'm not taking offense.
1: You could say something, too, like, helmets are often a good idea. Good for you. Good for you. Like, I don't know. It just, it just cracks me up that people will pull up to someone and say the types of things that Monica is saying or said to her.
0: Well, and I appreciate your keeping good humor about it. And sort of I, I took a much more earnest <laughs> <laughs> approach. And I was thinking about responses like I, I, I use these bikes to commute every day. Just something that that addresses that second question, that, yeah. the perception of maybe I'm new to this or I'm a tourist in my <laughs> I'm not own not a human city. being on the
1: planet Earth. <laughs> um,
0: even if I was, that it would be okay to talk to me like this. But it, if if I'm not really picking up that you're trying to be helpful, right? I, I might respond in a way that really shuts down that conversation just a little bit.
1: One of the things that I – I mean, I'm giving cheeky answers here, but one of the things I really loved about Monica's question was that she didn't want to hurt the good nature of this mansplaining that's happening to her. And I think that that is just really generous. And I want to commend Monica for not immediately vilifying the person who – thinks they're doing something good, even though it really comes across as incredibly patronizing. Way to be an awesome person out there, Monica. But Dan and I would love to go into this topic a little bit deeper in a Postscript segment in the future, because we think you've raised a lot of great questions. Um, So we look forward to doing a deeper dive on this in the future. But we just want to say thank you so much for bringing up now two topics for us to get involved in. (laughs) It's okay. He acts like a kid, though. That fella had a lot to learn about girls.
0: Thank you, Monica, and thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send your next thought or update. Please keep them coming to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463.
1: It's time for our Postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette, and today's Postscript is about conversation concepts. Daniel post you teach this stuff all the time.
0: I do. And this particular postscript was inspired by a conversation I had with an Emily Post trainer who called to have a discussion about some material that she'd been asked to present that had to to do with conversation and having good conversation. And I was reminded as we were talking about good conversation skills that one of the core skills that we really teach and emphasize is the skill of listening and particularly active listening. And it's a little counterintuitive to think about listening as a conversation skill. I think so often we're focused on what we say, what we don't say, what's appropriate to say, how we say the things that are in that marginal or potentially tricky territory. And so often it's not what we say, it's what we don't say and even what we're doing when we're not saying anything. And that process of being a good listener is so important and it's a a concept that I think is really important broadly in our world right now. The, I'm um, just
1: going to say straight up, this is a concept we need all of our etiquette advocates spreading far and wide right now. Our nation is in desperate need of listening to each other.
0: Having a willingness to listen is important. Having the ability to listen is also important. When we talk about our children's programs, when we talk about acquiring an etiquette skill, we talk about it's important to have the facility, but it's also important to practice it so that it's a a skill that you can use and utilize and – in that spirit, I want to talk about some, some elements to good listening that, that make this a, an actionable skill and something that we can all work on. And I just see the big smile on your face. <laughs> Sorry.
1: Because number one, while you're talking, I'm giving number one, which is the nonverbal cues that you're going to talk about. And I'm just laughing because here I'm like, as Dan is talking, I am listening and I'm nodding my head and I have a smile on my face because I love what we're talking about. And
0: And these are all the nonverbal cues that show people you care. And that's part of what listening is. It's giving someone your attention and that is a gift. Your willingness to sit up straight, to not... Cross your arms and your legs in front of you and close yourself off from someone else to face them, to square your shoulders, to present yourself in an open manner to someone, to look them in the eyes, and then to add those nonverbal cues, those little nods, the... And I don't recommend always cocking or tilting your head when you're talking to someone with a little coquettish <laughs> sort of
1: mess. Uh, you should have Facebook-lived this because the number of nonverbal cues we're giving to each other is hysterical right now. <laughs> and,
0: and, and and alternately, when we're when we're doing the things that we know show you're not listening, that those read instantaneously, the second you turn away from some people. Some people even look where your toes are pointed because they think that really? indicates where you're going next. This is wow. a little body language I trick. I did not know that one. That uh, – Upright posture, that vertical, that erect verticality, really does show that you're present. And bringing that presence to a situation is an important part of being a good listener. I remind myself when I'm sitting across from my cousin Lizzie, recording these shows, not to always be buried in my script, but to look up and to to make eye contact because it it gives that other person the information they they need to feel listened to. It's so 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 important. The next two tips seem so obvious <laughs> that you can repeat back what you've heard from someone, and they will know that they've been heard.
1: Are you telling me that if I repeat back what someone has just heard, they'll know that they've been heard? Did <laughs> I someone say someone has right? just
0: said? What has <laughs> just
1: been said? Clearly, I'm not that great at this game. <laughs> it takes a little practice. It does. <laughs>
0: I am acknowledging these habits take work to become habits, to become things that we do naturally all the time. You can also ask a follow-up question. If, repeating back exactly what you have just heard, isn't effective or working for you, you can ask a follow-up question.
1: Follow-up question? Is this postscript meant to get me to be a better listener? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm but teasing great you. follow-up
0: question. <laughs> the one last thought that I want to leave you with, and I've mentioned the importance of practice, and my, my final tip is to keep it up, The it is a skill that's worth practicing listening. But there is a particular type of practice that I think is important, and that's attenuating or drawing out the times that you're likely to listen for. We all have natural cycles of exertion and recuperation, periods of time where we do something and then where we look to rest and recover afterwards. And listening is one of those things that when we're doing it actively, there will be a time where you start to shut down. And maybe it's when you're attending a lecture. And I I I notice it about that 40-minute mark (laughs) I'm talking to a crowd. I try not to talk for more than fifty minutes or an hour because I think the human attention span is challenged to really be engaged for a lot longer than that. This also happens naturally in a conversation. People will be listening and then there'll be that moment where they decide what they're going to contribute next, what they want to say, the next question they want to ask, that follow-up question or that that point that they're going to repeat back. And my challenge to audiences and to all of you out there is to notice that moment, to notice the next time you're in conversation, and you've decided what you're going to say next, and then don't say it. <laughs> Go back to listening. Go back to active listening. Challenge yourself to re engage and to wait for that next moment of interest, that next thing that occurs to you to contribute. The art of good conversation is not saying everything that pops into your mind, but regulating how you respond, when you respond, and Learning to really draw out that listening, I think, is an important part of taking control of your conversation.
1: I hear you say that your final point is to keep it up. However, I have a follow-up question. Did I'm so curious. I repeated back and then Ooh, <laughs> asked my follow-up. Very nice. It's not really a question. More so, I don't really want this conversation to end just yet. I kind of know you gave us like the closeout. But listening is so much more than these four points that we've just talked about, which just to repeat them are nonverbal cues show that you are listening, repeating things back. We often say that being able to, um, as someone's telling a story, you know, say, hmm, or aha, or oh, my goodness, you know, you react a little bit rather Rather than reacting in full, but that keeps the conversation going. The follow-up question is really important. It can engage. It shows someone that they're listening. I talked about Open Mike Eagle and how his follow-up questions were insanely amazing and some of the most intelligent I've ever heard. And I I love the advice to keep it up. But listening is something I'm amazed at how much just sitting here thinking about the show and our listeners, how often we talk about sample scripts and we talk about what to say, what to say, what to say. And we don't put as much emphasis on how to listen and how to hear when someone else is saying things to you. And I know in my own life how much value I have gotten in the past few years. And I will say this is a new skill of mine. I've been able to listen in the past, but to fight the urge to say something back, even when I know that that I have a great point, there are a lot of times in the past few years where I have learned to just Table it. To let someone else have their very own conversation. To choose whether or not I'm going to participate in this one or not. And I will tell you, dear audience, that in this very kind of fraught political landscape that we have been in, that this skill has served me really, really well. And I have been able to have conversations that I think three or four years ago would have been really fraught for me. And rather than have them be fraught and difficult and challenging, I have been able to use my listening skills and therefore not feel the stress that difficult conversations can have because I take that moment to say I don't have to verbally react to all of this. And by the way, this doesn't mean that I sit there in silence while the other person just talks, but it means that I can let them just simply talk. And I can be that person who says, I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to really embrace what that means right now. I don't have to agree with, with you. My silence or my lack of response or lack of challenging response to you does not mean that I'm giving up my ground or that I've changed my perspective or that I agree with you. It just simply means that I am listening to you. And I have learned that I am totally fine giving other people the floor. I know, shocker, considering that I talk so much on this show. But I'm fine giving other people the floor and just listening. And it has created so much less stress in my life for having honed this skill.
0: I love that this (laughs) has so clearly struck a nerve. And I'm glad to have the opportunity to bring it to the show.
1: Well, we like to end our show on a high note. So we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world. And I'm just going to say it. Audience, I'm getting worried. All right. We used to get, like, two or three etiquette salutes a week, which made me feel so good about the world that we live in. Dan and I are not seeing your etiquette salutes coming in And we really hope that that's not an indication That you are experiencing no good etiquette out in the world So please, take the time Give us a phone call Leave a message with your etiquette salute Hit us up on Twitter and Facebook Send us that email Take out that stationery that you purchased After Dan gave that great PostScript segment on it And write it to us But please, I beg of you Send us your etiquette salutes Give us the hope that good etiquette is out there in the world
0: It absolutely feeds us, and we love sharing your salutes with everyone that listens to the show. This one comes from Angelica, who writes, Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I hope all is well in beautiful Vermont. I'm a longtime listener of the podcast, sending my first-ever etiquette salute your way. Hooray! My salute goes out to Mr. Dale, an attendant at the mobile station in my neighborhood. I recently moved to a new apartment in the area and got the warmest welcome from Mr. Dale when I went to fill up my car's tank. Immediately upon pulling in, Mr. Dale was knocking at my window, ready to take my credit card and fill up my car with a smile. It's important to add that in Wisconsin, where I live, gas attendants are rare and usually come with an upcharge for the service. Mr. Dale went the extra mile and filled up my tank for free, along while offering some friendly small talk and a mint lifesaver before sending me on my way. Mr. Dale clearly loves his job, and I love that he brings this old-fashioned tradition into 2017 while spreading a little good etiquette along the way. Mr. Dale has made a lifetime customer out of me. Thanks for reading. Looking forward to the next podcast, and so glad to hear that Anisha is doing well. I work as a pediatric nurse and know how challenging managing sick little ones can be for parents and families. Here's to a full recovery for your sweet little girl. Sincerely, Angelica.
1: That is so nice. Uh, On all counts.
0: uh, I couldn't agree more. Thank you, Angelica. We said that your salutes warm our hearts, and yours has definitely done that today.
1: Thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com
0: or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463.
1: On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post.
0: And I'm at Daniel underscore post.
1: On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please keep an eye out for our Facebook Live events. We are going to be doing them weekly, and even though I am headed out on vacation, you are going to get to see Dan Post Setting's lovely face each week.
0: It's so much fun to hear from our podcast listeners in that other medium.
1: Exactly. And please help us out. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And please consider leaving us a positive review.
0: Our show is edited and in many ways produced by Chris
1: Albertine. Thank you, Chris.